Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Reed Redmond. I'm Spencer Brudig. I'm Will Johnson. This show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This week on True Crime Chronicles. The infamous Zodiac Killer has never been identified. Some experts believe he may have started his killing spree in San Diego County. Well, I heard two gunshots. One, they were about two to three seconds apart. And then I heard a man scream, no, no. Whenever something new comes up in connection to the Zodiac Killer, there are a legion of online sleuths and amateur detectives who take notice. Zodiac was active in the San Francisco Bay Area in the late 1960s, but there have long been theories that the killer was connected to other murders. One attack in particular years earlier in San Diego. Newlyweds walking near the beach in 1964. This was a sniper attack uh, on a young couple that was just walking on the beach. And the sniper up on a cliff uh, fired with a 22 rifle at them, hitting both of them, disabling them. And then he, he scrambles down the cliff and uh, shoots both of them in the head one more time, uh, killing both of them. For years, there's been speculation that this case in Ocean Beach, San Diego County, uh, was related. But there was no, there was just, you know, newspaper articles that a lot of amateur sleuths had gone online and connected the dots and, and looked at the ammunition and the 22 rifle and the sniper and made the connections. So with this possible connection in mind, David Godfordson of CBS News 8 in San Diego went digging in the station archives, looking for anything they might have related to the murder of the couple. When we went back and pulled this archive film footage, and this is, this is on 16-millimeter film, that we go back and we look at a card file, and uh, literally handwritten card files uh, back from 1964, detailing what stories we did every day. And then we have in the back of our of our station big boxes full of the actual original scripts that the anchors read on the air. So then we, we go back in the storage and we open up these old tins and uh, each story that aired on a particular date has a date on it and a little roll of film that we have to uh, uh, look at. And there's little handwritten notes on the film saying uh, Ocean Beach murder. And uh, then we go and have that transferred. Some of the footage has sound and, and some, some doesn't. You know, the, the, the footage was pretty gruesome uh, back in the day that we were uh, looking at the actual body of, uh, of uh, Joyce Swindle and um, laying there at night uh, in a pool of blood. And uh, it was uh, pretty interesting to see the layout of the area, and uh, uh, her boyfriend, Johnny Swindle, had been taken to the hospital right away. But we also had uh, uh, witness interviews uh, talking about hearing the gunshots and uh, hearing Johnny, who had survived for several hours, 
uh, yelling no, no, uh, apparently when the killer came down and and finished them off with the single gunshot wounds to the head. Uh, where were the uh, couple standing when they were shot? Uh, by the sea wall in this uh, observation point right below here. Uh, were they uh, apparently admiring the uh, seascape at the time? Well, certainly that's a possibility. Their landlady says they frequently took walks along the uh, along the beach in the evening. Uh, there was an unopened box of uh, Valentine candy on the wall alongside. I think that's a logical assumption, yes. He shot five times then. From what distance? Well, that's around 50 feet away in a straight line and, uh, oh, I'd say 15 or 20 feet higher above where they were standing. What was the caliber of the uh, bullet? 22 caliber. You don't know whether it was a rifle or a pistol? No, we don't. Did you find any cartridges right near the bodies? Uh, two ejected uh, cartridges nearby, I guess. The assumption possibly then is that after shooting from long range, he went down and shot at closer range? Well, at least there are two empty cartridges there. I wouldn't care to assume anything, but I don't know any more about the that. Thanks very much, Lieutenant Shanks. It was very interesting to see that we had this much uh, uh, film footage. Uh, and transferred it. And it was a high-profile case at the time. Uh, we did follow-up reports. Mrs. West, when you went to the scene of the shootings, what was the situation? Well, she was uh, like she was on her stomach, and uh, his arm was partly around her. She didn't move, and uh, he was, you could see he was gurgling and gasping. You could see his throat, a lot of action there, and groaning with it. And, of course, then... I ran back up because I knew we need an ambulance. Did it appear that the woman was dead at the time? She didn't move. And the maintenance man had looked and he said she didn't move either. And did, did it appear that her husband was attempting to protect yes, her? His arm was uh, like he was uh, sort of on his side like and his arm was around her. Her face was down but it was a little uh, bit towards uh, the side too. It was down but a little bit to the side. And he was trying to protect her, and that's the idea you got, you know, despite the fact he was, he was gurgling and everything. It was real bad. Thank you very much. So there was a lot of uh, information, uh, sound, and details that came out of this old archive footage, and it's just kind of exploded on the Internet with people who are experts in the Zodiac looking at every little piece in detail. Uh, and saying that they're pretty confident there's a connection there. Mrs. Shields, in your apartment, a block and a half away from the murder scene, what did you hear last night? Well, I heard two gunshots. One, they were about two to three seconds apart. And then I had heard a man scream, no, no. And uh, I didn't relate him at the time, but I thought, well, maybe somebody's getting robbed. But since my husband's gone, I don't venture outside at night by myself. So that's all I heard, and that's what I told the police. This was at about the uh, same time as the murder was believed right. to have taken place. It was about 8.30 last night. Strange that nobody uh, right near the scene heard any uh, sounds or of uh, shouting or of uh, shots fired. Well, the explanation they gave for that, since the man fired the first shots up on top of the cliff, when he came down here, the people couldn't hear it because of the wall that's right here. But the sounds carried from here to where I live. I mean, it carried by, I guess, waves, whatever you want to call it. But uh, they say that's why they didn't hear them on top of the hill. These were probably the two final shots which were fired at close range. That's what he said, that that was the two last shots that killed him. The footage is pretty amazing to see, black and white, but not grainy or difficult to make out. 
Godfordson describes the process of finding and then restoring the old reels. The guy that does the transfers for us, he runs it through a, a noise reduction program and also uh, uh, the audio he can clean up as well. So yeah, it looks, it looks pretty good. And, and in fact, one of the people, one of the women who was interviewed in the archive footage uh, was a KFMB employee, uh, CBS 8 employee, who lived two blocks from the scene. And she's the one that uh, you can hear on the archive footage uh, talking about hearing the victim say no, no before uh, she heard two shots. Mr. Smith, when did you rent the apartment to the uh, boy? Last month. Was that before they were married? Yes, sir, it was before they were married. Did he say then that he was going back to Alabama to yes. get his bride? Yes, sir, that's what he told me, that he was going back to get his bride. What sort of a couple were they, as far as you know? Very fine couple that I would like to have in the court always. Did they have very many visitors? Mother Paul hadn't seen no one here. Uh, did she say that she liked uh, to uh, look at the ocean? Was that the reason they took these trips every night along the ocean? Yes, she told me yesterday as they was working along that Joe and Joyce was terribly fascinated by the ocean. Cannot keep her away from her. When was the last that you saw them? Three o'clock yesterday afternoon when he left me. What was he doing at the time? He was finishing a painting job for me. Oh, he was doing a painting job yes. for you? Uh, was he... Uh, Trying to earn some extra money? Yes, sir. That's what he said. They need the money because they were earning short-term money. And he was very glad to do some work for me. He was a very... They were both very good tenants? Seemingly, they were very quiet. That's all I know about them. Did he say that they were childhood sweethearts back in Alabama? Yes, sir. He mentioned that to me. A young couple standing near the beach in 1964 suddenly, randomly, viciously gunned down. And in fact, it's not the only case that some have suggested might be linked to the Zodiac Killer. There was at least another one months earlier. The interesting thing about this uh, attack was right away in the newspaper articles and in footage that we retrieved uh, from our archives, the police are looking at another shooting, sniper attack shooting of a couple eight months earlier uh, up in uh, on Gaviota Beach in San Santa Barbara County. Very similar incident uh, up in Santa Barbara eight months earlier. A sniper shoots a couple, uh, reloads and, uh, and shoots them again and, and kills them. So right away, the, the links between these two sniper attacks uh, of couples on the beach uh, with a 22 caliber uh, am ammunition, 22 caliber long ammunition, ammunition both these cases, kind of link these two uh, cases. Two sets of couples, two different locations around San Diego, but only months, not years apart. It's easy to see why police and the media might have been thinking there was a connection. But then how did these two attacks in the early 1960s get linked to actual Zodiac Killer attacks in the late 1960s, hours north in the San Francisco Bay Area? The victims are one commonality. Most of the cases up there, he targeted uh, young couples. And uh, some of them he attacked uh, uh, with a gun. And then, uh, and then uh, there was a knife attack. And then there was also atta an attack with a gun on a uh, cab driver up in the San Francisco area. The confirmed attacks are 
are five murders because in uh, two of the incidents, only one of the two in uh, of the couples uh, ended up dying. So a couple of the males in the couple attacks up in the Bay Area survived. Uh, but his first attack um, in 1968 in Solana County, uh, uh, two uh, young couples, 17-year-old male and a 16-year-old Betty Lou Jensen, both of them died in that initial attack. Tom Voigt runs the website ZodiacKiller.com. He knows a lot about these cases, including the San Diego murders in 1964. Joyce and Johnny, in my opinion, are uh, the perfect candidates to be early Zodiac victims. Uh, just the fact that somebody was in such a, a an unusual spot, uh, you know, the, up on that bluff uh, at night in February, uh, he seemed to have known their routine and was expecting them. Uh, the taking of uh, personal items was something that Zodiac did, not every time, but certainly uh, he did uh, upon occasion. And killing near water, targeting couples, uh, it just fits. You know, Zodiac didn't always take credit for his crimes, or maybe he waited uh, months or years. So uh, all, everything kind of fits in the sense that with Zodiac, there was no pattern all the time, and this would fit with that. The, the pattern of no pattern is kind of like classic Zodiac. So there's so many elements that fit with Joyce and Johnny's case. And I think we need to look at unsolved cases in San Diego and Los Angeles County uh, in the early 60s in particular. I'm reminded of in the, in the Joyce and Johnny murders, it just reminds me of a hunter up in a deer stand. And it's just very similar to Count Zaroff's uh, character in The Most Dangerous Game which is a book and movie that Zodiac referenced. And it seems like he was playing out that kind of a role of uh, hunting human beings. David Godfordson points out another similarity between the murders connected to the Zodiac killer in the late 60s and one of the cases in the early 60s. Up in Santa Barbara, he also tied up the couple with pre-cut pieces of rope. And that particular uh, trait is seen in the later uh, attacks up in the Bay Area, in one of the attacks up in the Bay Area. There's another case in San Diego that happened in 1962 that kind of um, uh, mirrors a future Zodiac murder up in San Francisco. In 1962, a, a cab driver by the name of Ray Davis was uh, shot uh, in the back of the head uh, during a cab ride in Oceanside, which is also in San Diego County. The day before and the day after that murder, somebody called Oceanside police and made threats. Uh, the day before, he threatened he was going to uh, do something baffling that the cops would never be able to solve. And then afterwards, he called them again and said, I'm the guy who killed the cab driver uh, yesterday, and I'm going to take out a bus driver next. And all those things are virtually identical. Those threats are identical to what the Zodiac did later up in the Bay Area, where he threatened uh, a, 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 to, to gun uh, school children down as they came out of a school bus. And uh, he, he made threats uh, uh, and taunting letters and things like that. It's amazing to me that the, the killing of Ray Davis was not linked to the Zodiac until early this year. There was no nobody in the Zodiac world, professional or amateur detectives, 
Nobody had ever heard of that murder of Ray Davis. And of course, once we became aware of it, it was clear that it's probably a Zodiac murder. I think there are other cases like that in Southern California from the early 1960s. And I think it's crucial to focus on that area of California in that time period because focusing on 1969 in the Bay Area hasn't gotten us where we want to be. And I think uh, early, early crimes of the Zodiac, he may not have been as polished. He may have not taken credit for them because he made mistakes along the way. And it might be uh, that focus of attention might actually pay off. It's going to come down to uh, do they have fingerprints uh, from that murder? Do they have DNA that can link them all together? Uh, we just don't know because the police do not typically reveal when they, you know, match this kind of evidence together. Uh, but there is hope that DNA can find the Zodiac Killer someday. If anything, another high-profile California case is giving people like Tom Voigt hope. Hope that the killer could still be identified. The Golden State Killer was eventually identified through uh, DNA uh, genealogy, where they look at, uh, you know, uh, family tree history and they, tr and they, they get a DNA profile. We know that a couple years ago, uh, Vallejo police um, looked back at the Zodiac letters and tried to pull saliva off them and try to get a DNA profile so they can do the same thing. But again, we don't know the results of that. Do they have a full profile of who they think the Zodiac Killer is? Or do they only have a partial profile? And can, they be, can those profiles be run through genealogy to try to identify him just like they did in the Golden State Killer case? Uh, we just don't know. And we haven't heard anything for a couple of years now. Because although the murders are decades old now and what may seem like worlds away, the Zodiac Killer could still be alive. The suspect, if he's still alive, uh, he's, he, he can still be prosecuted. That's the whole point of all this. They can still uh, get a prosecution. The guy can still be alive. And I hope that the police in San Diego are forthcoming about uh, Joyce and Johnny's murders and, and release some information. I'm sure they have information that hasn't been released. It's time. It's 2020. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. For Vault Studios and True Crime Chronicles, I'm Will Johnson. I'm here with Spencer Brudig and Reed Redman. So guys, as we were putting together the episode this week with this really sort of fascinating found footage, if you will, there's also major news in the world of the Zodiac Killer. So there have been ciphers, four of them over the years that, well, way back then that the Zodiac Killer sent to the newspaper, the San Francisco Chronicle, actually one in particular that we're going to be talking about on this episode. He sent this in 1969, and it was just decoded by a team of, uh, of just regular folks, if you will, an Australian software engineer, an American cryptographer, and a Belgian software engineer working all together, I imagine. So here's what they figured he was saying. 
I hope you are having lots of fun and trying to catch me. That wasn't me on the TV show, which brings up a point about me. I'm not afraid of the gas chamber because it will send me to paradise all the sooner because I now have enough slaves to work for me where everyone else has nothing when they reach paradise. So they are afraid of death. I'm not afraid because I know that my new life will be an easy one in paradise. Death. Paradise spelled with a C throughout. And I can tell you the the TV show reference is because there was someone who called into a TV show claiming to be the Zodiac Killer back in the day, and actually there's been a movie made about this. There have been so much written about the Zodiac Killer, so this is just a, a slice of, of, the, of the entire story, if you will. I'll be honest, when I saw the news, I was so excited to go and read it. I was like, oh, they're going to solve this case. Then I read the cipher, and I was, not to downplay the achievement of the people who cracked this code, that is awesome. I was kind of dis- disappointed that there wasn't more information about his identity. Yeah, but maybe there's more within this text that, you know, just reading it, we don't see or hear anything, but people who are investigating would be able to figure something out. The code within the code. The FBI released a statement when this happened. It said the FBI is aware that a cipher attributed to the Zodiac Killer was solved by private citizens. The Zodiac Killer case remains an ongoing investigation for the FBI and so on and so forth. So they basically say that Well, I'll continue. Due to the ongoing nature of the investigation, out of respect for victims and families, we'll not be providing further comment at this time. The thing about all this is that the Zodiac Killer, as we pointed out in the episode, could very well be alive. This is somebody who could be caught. And, you know, this is a, a killer who we know of at least five people who were killed, but he claimed to have killed more than 30 people. Yeah, and that's that's one of the great mysteries of the Zodiac Killer is if he is still alive, then he went silent. And this was somebody who was boasting about his crimes, writing to the newspaper. And, you know, I've, I have no idea why he would go silent for such a long time then. And also, when you read that cipher, it just doesn't seem like he would fit the profile of going silent. I mean, when you're throwing out slaves in paradise in your letters... That's not really something that you let go, it seems like. Well, so we'll touch on it here, and we have touched on it. I will tell our listeners you can go down some very deep rabbit holes very quickly about the cipher and what he's written and what it might allude to and all that kind of thing. And there are several letters that were written also that were attributed to him, but then subsequently dismissed. Uh, Lots of copycat folks have apparently sent in lots of letters over the years, but um, there are only four ciphers that are actually attributed to him. Now, let me get back to our episode, because in the long history of the Zodiac Killer and the many decades and books and articles and movies and all of that, but this is a unique angle, and I know that you both went and looked at this footage as soon as you listened to the episode, right? Yeah, yeah, I just think it's so cool that they were able to dig this up from 1964. It's not often that you get to see and hear from witnesses to a crime that happened in the 1960s. And it's really beautiful footage. I mean, uh, you know, news footage can be really nice looking today, but just the black and white and the textures of it and the fact that it was in such good condition. And then on top of it, they were able to restore it further. It's uh, really cool to see. And we will be posting this on our uh, Facebook group just because you all should see this. It's pretty darn cool. I can't agree more. Like, it, you see old news footage sometimes, and it just, you know, it, it's cool, but it's old. This just has, like, a quality. It almost looks like it's staged. Yeah, yeah. It, look, it looks like, it looked like even the camera movements, it looked like something Hitchcock shot. It, it, it's really cool. One thing I do want to bring up about 
the cases that we covered, both the uh, Johnny and Joyce Swindle and then the uh, Robert Dominguez and Linda Edwards case in uh, the Gaviota Coast is, it's it's interesting, uh, obviously California is a huge state and y- you can easily drive up and down the coastline of it on the highway systems, but that even the geographic locations of where these took place, it's a little bit flip-flopped in my mind, right? So he the first in 1963 is the Gaviota Beach killing, which is in Santa Barbara County. Then the, this killer, if it's connected, would have driven down to San Diego, which is four and a half hours south of Santa Barbara County, uh, committed those crimes a year later, and then made his way back up, you know, the eight to 10 hours to the Bay Area years later to to then kill in Northern California. I mean, some good amount of distance that was traveled for all of these crimes, obviously over the course of several years, but it's not like he was moving his way up the coast, kind of went all up and down the state if this is in fact uh, connected cases. One of the other things that that jumped out at me was, as we talked about, this was a guy who taunted the police. He boasted about um, some of the crimes he committed but uh, I think it was Tom Voigt on this episode mentioned that maybe the Zodiac didn't take credit if you did carry out these killings. He didn't take credit for them because he'd made mistakes or something like that. And so that kind of makes you think, you know, he wants us to look at these other cases because he thinks he did a better job of, you know, concealing evidence or whatever. But maybe if we're ever going to figure out who he actually is, the answers are going to be found in in cases like this that that he wouldn't have wanted tied back to him if if, again, it was him. A lot going on here. Spencer, I know you grew up in the Bay Area, right? Yes, I... Uh, You're a little too young, though, right? Did you know about... Did, did you hear talk of the Zodiac killer? Well, he's just... Ca- I mean, the Zodiac has captured the imagination of the true crime genre and even not true crime, the fic- fictionalized versions of him for so long that, of course, I've known of the Zodiac and it took place in the Bay Area. But it's interesting to note, I, I went to school in the central coast of California and I had never heard of... Uh, Robert Dominguez or Linda Edwards in Gaviota, and that was just a few minutes from uh, where I went to school. So, uh, really fascinating to see you know these new elements of this case come to light uh, just this year. Yeah, and we would love to hear from our listeners. And if folks have questions or want to share anything you know they've heard or learned or are interested in about the Zodiac Killer or any of the cases we cover here on True Crime Chronicles, Spencer, where can they go? Uh, we have a Facebook group called Inside the Crime Vault. Uh, and we will be posting the footage uh, that was discussed on today's episode onto Inside the Crime Vault on Facebook. And actually, we'll be back next week with our final story of the year, 2020. It's been a long year. Time to wrap it up. And Reed, we'll be covering, I know you've been waiting to hear about the skull on the mantle. I have so many questions about the skull on the mantle. You're bringing us that one, right, Will? Yes, we'll have two stories next week. So join us then for True Crime Chronicles. I'm Will Johnson along with Spencer Brudig and Reed Redman. I'll be back next week with a new case and a new story.